Good morning. We have gathered this week on a beautiful day to worship the Lord, to share life together, and we will be coming to the table of the Lord where we commemorate and encounter the living Christ in the power of the Spirit uh, as He gives life to us. So this is a day of great life and celebration. Our call to worship is taken from Psalm 34 and Revelation 1. I've set it up as a responsive reading, so let's read responsively. I'll begin. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt God's name together. We will give thanks to you, O Lord, with our whole heart. We will tell of all your wonderful deeds. We will be glad and exalt in you. We will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Grace be to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. We have the words on the screen. I sing the mighty power of God. Let's stand and give him glory. Amen and amen. Have a seat if you would, please. Well, it's always a joy to me on Sunday mornings to welcome you to worship. Those of you who are here on site with us as we gather and 
join voices, but also as those who are online, whether live stream or recorded, as you let all of us join with you in your space and time. It's good to be together. Lots of information uh, outside the sanctuary. How do you like those Hope women? Uh, national championship right here in our community. And to those of you who are Michigan State fans, I would say, as a graduate of Davidson College, you're welcome. <laughs> now, as a Davidson alum, I'm also thinking, I think next week is midterms. And so every Davidson athlete is thinking to himself, which will look better on my med school application, winning the NCAA or passing organic chemistry? So Davidson's that kind of school. It's always amazing to us when uh, we show up in, uh, winning anything. But it's a great game. Congratulations, Michigan State. And may you demolish Duke. But we'll go on. <laughs> we'll go on. It's been a big, uh, full week. Yesterday, I was part of the Profession of Faith fall retreat. Uh, about 15 of our students were there as we worked through a day and a half of preparing them for that important step. It's also uh, a memorial service for Mike and uh, Mark Andre, uh, a long story of God's grace uh, through difficult circumstances, but glad to gather with that family for today. We will have communion, and as you can see, we're going to add to the way we're going to distribute the elements. I sent information out on that. Some of you will have wanted to pick up the single packet and to take communion at your uh, pew, just like we have been doing. Others of you will give the opportunity to come forward, and if you want to take the single packet forward, you can pick it up and process to either side if you want to come forward and get the bread and a cup, either the packet or the cup or, or the uh, individual stuff, one or the other, you go through that same line and you'll be there. But we'll figure that out. We're kind of continuing to, to learn and go as we uh, do. So we'll do communion, fellowship time afterwards, follow up with a pastor, I hope, at 1050. 10.15, and then tonight, uh, we're just getting going, and I think it will go out in email, but a Zoom Bible study for women um, as they gather, uh, Janice Presnier will help kind of sort through the various sermons and good discussion. I think we're just getting that started, so watch for that in your email, ladies. Later on today, I want to dedicate specific time to praying for Ukraine and the circumstances there. I'll lead you through that. I'll include a video and a particular prayer. And so I won't be praying for Hardawike in the way that I typically do. Some things I do want to update folks on. Um, I've had contact with uh, the Lettinga family. Bill is still in Florida, has been hospitalized but improving, and Sharon has come home. They're working to find good uh, care for her here in Holland as they navigate things for Bill and Sharon. Spoke with Jim Rhonda. They were able to sell their Florida home and hope to get back here to Holland uh, by the end of next month and begin various treatments for him, chemo and such. I didn't speak with her, but Helene Van Campen is underway with chemo 
And Wayne Reisman will begin treatment on Monday for uh, a tumor related to his kidney. So we're in a season where we've got a lot of prayer requests. And I want you to know I pray for those. I'm going to move them to another part of my day today so that we can focus on Ukraine. On a lighter note, because it's good news, uh, Friday had opportunity to participate in a fundraiser for a mission agency here in Holland. You may know Mika's Lunch. Uh, Hardwick is very invested in Mika's Lunch. It's not ours specifically, but we're part of the crew that does that. And so there was a fundraiser at the Park Theater with a band, Reckless Davy, and an auction. And I'm very thankful. I got there, got to be a part of that uh, celebration, and Hardwick generally were wonderfully represented both in things to raise money and in people there. But as I've come to see and understand, I appreciated the leadership of celebration. Now, all of Hardwick is strong and wonderful, but I saw our unique leadership in important ways. We got there and began to bid and things, raise money, but then the band began to play. And of all three worshiping communities Hardwike, and the answer to this is celebration, of all three worshiping communities, which one was first? The answer is celebration. Which one was first on the dance floor? <laughs> Lee Bosco, thank you for your leadership. You know, and I, Leonard Skinner kind of does that for me too, you know, give me three steps. Um, it's good to celebrate and laugh together. We're living in a world that's confusing, that's broken. But one aspect of the gospel is this, our God reigns. Our God is in charge. And so I don't have to fix the world myself. He's called me to be a part of his work. I don't have to figure out who I am all by myself. He's expressed his love for me. And so because God is God, we can laugh and dance and have a good time even as we try to raise funds to feed kids in schools in Dominican Republic. Friends, that's the gospel. It is good news. Well, Let's continue. We're using the Heidelberg Catechism in this month of March. Question number 27, I'll begin. What do you understand by the providence of God? The almighty and ever-present power of God by which God upholds as with his hand heaven and earth and all creatures, and so rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things in fact come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. We receive the good work of God even in a broken world because we've come by his grace to the cross of Jesus. Uh, let's stand and sing that hymn.
Amen. Thank you. And have a seat. Now, let me explain the next steps I want to take. This is going to be our prayer time. And usually I pray for a regular series of things related to Heart of Wyke and our ministries extending in the world. Because of the extraordinary situation in Ukraine where uh, Russia has invaded, now death is reigning and uh, destruction, I want to focus our time praying for Ukraine. I'm going to do that in two ways. One, I have a video that was came to the United States by way of the Ukrainian Bible Society. And what you'll see is Ukrainians praying in their language the words of Psalm 31. And I will pray in English the words. You'll see them written as well. And you'll hear them praying and see them praying. This video was made about two, a little over two weeks ago. And so there's been a lot of destruction, particularly of civilian uh, placements since then. It looks worse than it does now. But in that way, we join with them and pray. And then I'm going to pray a prayer um, that I came across in uh, an article called How Readers Around the World Are Praying for Ukraine. I've really been taken by the writing of an Anglican priest, uh, Tish Harrison Warren. You've heard me refer to her work. I've been reading her stuff since 2014, but she gathered prayers from her readers and included in a New York Times article a long list of those. And I'll close with one of those prayers. So we'll start by praying with Ukrainians, praying the Word of God, Psalm 31, and we'll close praying the words written by the wife of a Ukrainian pastor. Uh, does that give you a sense of where we'll be going with this and what we're doing? Let's see if we can get that video. Here we go. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge. A strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Keep me free from the trap that is set for me. For you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. I hate those who cling to worthless idols. As for me, I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in your love, for you saw my affliction and knew the anguish of my soul. You have not given me into the hands of the enemy, but have set my feet in a spacious place. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. My life is consumed Terror on every they conspire against me and plot to take my life. But I trust in you, Lord. I say you are my God. 
свою руку, кладу свою долю. Ти ж визвер мене від руки ворогів моїх і моїх пересвідчиків. Засяй світлом свого обличчя на твого раба. Спаси мене у своєму милосерді. Господи, не дай мені осоромитись, адже я кличу до Тебе. Нехай осоромляться нечестиві і змовкнуть у шоолі. Нехай занімують ломаною уста, Любіть Господа, усі святі Його, стереже Господь вірно, а гордому злишку Будьте сильні, і хай буде міцне ваше серце. Усі, хто надію покладає на Господа. Псалом 31. Let's continue in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. That in the words of David, as he faced turmoil and war, you give us words to seek you in the midst of turmoil and war. We thank you for the opportunity to stand with the people, but in particular, fellow believers there in Ukraine. Even now, as they see their world turned upside down, as they see loved ones perish, as they hunger, Father, we thank you that you've called us as your people to enter in to the challenge, to the battle, to the need, that we in prayer might stand and resist evil in this place of prayer. We join with them, Father. We pray for your good work. We pray you would move in grace to change hearts of people in decision-making places that there might come peace. We thank you that there is coming a day of peace when our weapons of war will become implements of agriculture and provision. We look forward, Father, to the day that you put an end to the brokenness of this world and establish your kingdom in full. Till then, guide us, teach us, give us humility, discernment, and we would pray I'll use these words of a Ukrainian pastor whose family is currently in occupied territory. She's unable to have contact with them. We join her in these words. Father God, may the attacker's fingers freeze. May they drop things. May they not see clearly. May their equipment malfunction. May they experience overwhelming hopelessness, enormous fatigue, and a complete loss of any desire to fight. May their communication be broken. May there be confusion. Lead them to surrender. Stretch the kilometers before them into endless kilometers of non-advancement. Remove their leadership and replace them with people who make decisions that reflect a fear of you. O God, infuse the defenders with incredible surges of renewed alertness, strength, hope, and courage. 
Inspire those who want to help. Show them specific, effective ideas. Move them swiftly and move them safely. The worst is yet to come, Lord, if you do not stop it. But please, no peace where there is no peace. We ask for peace united with righteousness and truth. God of all comfort, be physically present with all the mothers, fathers, grandparents, and children who are hiding, hearing, smelling, enduring. Warm them. Fill them with food. Give them water, toilets, communication with their loved ones. Give them the gospel and hope in you. We repent of making idols of political leaders and news outlets. Forgive us for wanting them to be our gods and saviors. Forgive us for being unreasonable, for not wanting to admit both the good and the bad in all of our leaders. It is this spirit that leads us to dictators because we abandon responsibility and reason. Finally, we confess the seeds of war that live in our own hearts. We humble our hearts, our bodies. We ask you for mercy. Thank you that you, O Lord, love mercy and have all power. Father, teach us to pray and to pray with faith and trust and humility. Teach us to pray together with one voice, even as the Lord Jesus has taught us to pray using these words. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen and amen. Uh, This morning, I'll be preaching again from the book of Exodus. We're in a Lenten series where we're kind of taking the journey through Exodus. Last week, God delivered his people, as it were, through mighty power. We're reminded that God has enough power to rescue his people. Today, under this same theme, enough, we want to look at how God has enough love to guide our footsteps. We're seeing Israel in the first few uh, weeks, months perhaps, out of Egypt, and it's a very interesting twist in the story. So we'll look at Exodus chapter 16, 2 through 12. Uh, Before we do that, let me give you just a little bit of background. I'm going to focus on one chapter, the event of the manna where God feeds Israel in the desert, and he does that for a particular reason, he says, to test them. But there's things that follow that I won't be able to touch. Chapter 17, there's water from the rock in the desert. God can provide for his people. Uh, And that becomes, in the New Testament, a vision of Christ water in the desert, Jesus who gives us the river of life. In Exodus 17, you'll read about the defeat of the Amalekites. There was a war between Israel and the Amalekites, and the pivotal point was actually the prayer of Moses. They win as Moses prays with the authority of God, and he eventually needs people to help hold his hands up, Aaron and Hur. And it's it's been a great picture in the history of the church of praying pastors who are supported in prayer by those with gifts of intercession. Great story, but we'll have to move past it. Uh, In chapter 18, Moses goes and talks with his father-in-law, and you see how God is worshipped 
even outside the chosen family, as Israel becomes the instrument by which Christ comes, salvation to all people, God is at work in others. Great story. And we see something that I've come to see the value of. Uh, Moses takes his father-in-law's advice. Um, an interesting thing in that story as they set up other judges, you'll see something, a pattern, I'll just say it, we'll move on. It seems as if through the whole Bible, God is interested in decentralizing power. Part of what happens is that Moses' power, his authority as a judge, gets invested in other people and he shares it with them. Power is always moving away from the center, invested in others. So that's what surrounds this story of the manna. I'll start reading Exodus chapter 16, verse 2. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Boy, they just got out of Egypt, and what do they start doing? They grumble. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will, here's the word, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, in the evening, you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against him. Oh, who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, you will know what it, that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord for he has heard your grumbling. Boy, that didn't sound like a good invitation, does it? While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked towards the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God. Let's pray. O Lord, our God and Father, we thank you that you have entered into human history. And even in these ancient documents, we read of your uh, interaction with the nation of Israel, with Moses and Aaron, and we learn something of their heart and of your provision. We thank you that at the cross, Jesus supremely, finally, once and for all, met the need of every heart. Help us to see that and to grow in that, Guide our thoughts and minds this day. Protect your people from my own sin and brokenness. But make yourself known this day, we pray. We give you thanks for your great love and pray in the name of Jesus. And all of God's people said together, amen and amen. Well, Israel, the nation is just out of Egypt. And something seems to show itself immediately. Listen to this. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Set free from slavery, 
They start by grumbling. It appears that Israel was no longer in Egypt, but Egypt was still in Israel's heart and head. You see, you can leave Egypt, but if you carry the values, the desires, the loves of Egypt with you, you will not be free. Remember, this is a problem of the heart. We see here the behavior, it's grumbling, and it's grumbling against the established authorities that God has set up, Moses and Aaron. It's grumbling, but we're taught in the Scripture to go to the source and ask, where did that behavior of grumbling come from? The heart condition, I'd evaluate in this way, they still loved Egypt. They were willing to change the story of their time in Egypt. Oh, if the Lord had only killed us. Why, in Egypt we had all this great food. Oh, why are we here? The behavior was grumbling. The heart was still a love for Egypt. Friends, remember this. Jesus teaches it very clearly, but we see it pan out all through the Scripture. Our behaviors, our words, they become the opportunity to ask of ourselves, what is it in my heart that leads to this behavior? When a child does something that gets a particular reaction from me as a parent, I may need to take care of the child in that behavior, but I also ought to ask, what's happening here that elicits that behavior? The heart loved the benefits of Egypt. And so Israel forgot and even downplayed the slavery and death of Egypt. And so we start a experience now for Egypt, uh, for Israel. God says this in Exodus 16:4, in this way I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. I was fascinated by that word, and I spent some time this week. I actually looked at every use of that word in the Hebrew and its various cognates. Where is that used all through the Hebrew Bible? What can I learn? Some of those verses were used in the New Testament. I gathered them and kind of prayed through them. I looked at the the Greek word test in several forms, began to really look at this. I began to see new things about how the Lord provides a test. Test this. What is a test and what is not a test? Let me dig into that. Because often we hear the word test and we think, oh no, pass, fail, loved, not loved, success, not success. God will give manna to Israel in this passage so that he can test and see what's in their hearts, let them see what is in their hearts. And the test would be this, I'd summarize, who do you trust for your provision? God in his mercy is going to lead them into a desert. And in a desert, you can't provide your own provision. And God says, I will provide for you. Who do you trust for your provision? Now, two things I want to make real clear. There's two important things that I want us to focus on. The first is this, that the test is never about who Israel is or how they must earn the Lord's favor. God speaks to his covenant people, and they are his people because of a promise he made to Abraham hundreds of years ago. God is not saying to Israel through Moses and Aaron, you better do what's right 
or I'm through with you. He's taken his beloved children. He's made them by his covenant promise, his children. And he says, now let me test. Let's learn. Let's press in. It's as if to say, I'm going to establish circumstances that will let you identify where you're living in trust and where you are not. And those areas where you are not, by my grace, I'll help you change and live more fruitfully into all that God has for you. Israel's identity as the covenant people is never up for grabs with this test. Do you see that? Do you hear that? It's important to keep that. Remember, God doesn't give Israel the Ten Commandments and say, obey these and I'll set you free. He sets them free. And then he says, let me show you how to live. And we discover we need his grace for that just as well. But there's a second thing that particularly Friday and Saturday as I was praying for this, I had to kind of change things in light of where I was being led as I prayed. The second thing I want you to see, and this won't be in the outline, not everything we suffer in this life is initiated by God as a test in the same way that the manna we read about today. We will suffer. There are challenges. But not every challenge we face in life is a test in the same way that the manna is for Israel here. Now that's important so we know how to respond. If we think every challenge we face is God testing us, we're going to be out of step with what the Lord wants to do in our life. Let me begin to build on this a bit. You see, there is evil in the world and evil events in this world. There is brokenness in the world. Sometimes it's not active evil. There's just brokenness and things happen. Oh, that brokenness is the result of sin. Things are not as the Lord intended or created them to be. There'd even be a third thing, personal spiritual evil that is aggressive and purposeful in its actions to hurt the people that God loves. But none of these things evil, brokenness, spiritual evil, none of these things are tests from the Lord in the way that the events we read about today are. You've got to differentiate. The Lord does not initiate evil. Vladimir Putin, easy example in front of all of our faces these days. The events of these past weeks are not a test from the Lord for Ukraine or for others. Oh, why is God testing these people? No. Vladimir Putin and his henchmen, the people who support him, even what appears to be a highly problematic, idolatrous relationship with the leadership of the Russian Orthodox Church, that's evil. You respond to evil differently than you respond to a test. The attack on Ukraine is an act of evil. We need to recognize it for what it is. Cancer is not a test from God. When I go in and pray for someone who's just received a diagnosis of cancer, I'm not wondering, oh, I wonder what God is testing here. No, cancer is a reflection of the brokenness of the world. And I know that Jesus gave his life to undo the brokenness of this world. Friend, God's people, Israel in this passage, you and me day to day, may yet experience death, but Jesus gave his life to conquer death. 
God's people have been freed from the finality of death, and one day death itself will be wiped away from human experience. I may face it in this life, but it is not the end, the final word for me. In Genesis 50, 20, just a few chapters ahead in the story of where we are today, you remember Joseph, his brothers, come to him and said, boy, now that dad's dead, are you going to even the score from when we did you wrong? And Joseph says this, though you meant it for evil, Joseph could look at what his brothers did. They sold him into slavery. He saw all the things of his life. He saw the impact of evil, and he called evil, evil. Though you meant it for evil, God worked it for good so that many might be saved. Could it be that we live in a world where evil continues for a time, where brokenness continues for a time, when sadness continues for a time, but it is not the final word. I love the words of the Heidelberg Catechism. He watches over me. Nothing can happen without the will of my Father. All things must work together for my salvation, including, to borrow the words of Joseph, what you meant for evil. God in his will will work it for good. I looked at the... Um, scripture footnotes to the Heidelberg Catechism, and one of the references for that statement is from Luke 21, 16 through 18. Jesus says this, he said, you'll be betrayed even by parents, brothers, and sisters, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Betrayal? Death? Doesn't quite sound like your best life now. Then he goes on to say, everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. I might die in obedience, but I will not perish because of what Jesus did at the cross. God will send tests, but those tests are different than the evil in the world that yet remains, than the brokenness that yet affects me. Putin may actively rebel against God with evil actions. The Lord will turn that rebellion around so that it only serves to accomplish the Lord's own will. Initiating this war, I'll say it again and again, is an act of evil, not a test from the Lord's hand. Certainly not a test in the way we read about this morning with the manna. Another example of this is the life and experiences of Job. Listen to what Tim and Kathy Keller write in their daily devotional, God's Wisdom for Navigating Life, about Job. You'll remember he suffered, but his suffering was rooted not in the brokenness of the world, not in his sin, but in a personal spiritual wickedness that attacked him. God hates evil and permits into Job's life only the, not the evil that will completely defeat Satan's intention. God lets enough evil into Job's life that it will defeat the intended desire of Satan. It's a turnaround, a standing on its head. Yet at the end, Job is never told the plan. He never learns why he suffered. That may be hard to hear, but how true, how often we face 
heartache, and yet we find sustenance even before we understand. Friends, I want to say the Lord does not initiate spiritual attack. Job, his suffering is initiated by someone else. It comes to him through the controlling hand of God. The final word for Job is God's himself, not the enemy. But the Lord is sovereign, and his will is the final word. There are people and forces that are in rebellion, and sometimes even me, sinner that I am. But the Lord will turn even their rebellion, even my sin, even my brokenness, to his glory and benefit. Though you meant it for evil, God worked it for good. That's what it means to have a sovereign God. And so the testing that we read about today is different than those other aspects of suffering. Testing is like identifying and removing the impurities from a valuable metal. The refining of dross or or waste out of gold or silver. In the end, we get more pure and more valuable silver and gold. It may take heat, but heat is only used for the purpose of improvement and not for destruction. So when the Lord provides a test, we need to prayerfully discern what is he doing, differentiate where is God at work or not work. And when the test is what does it mean to trust, we need to receive from his hand the lessons that he has. Three quick things I'll uh, touch. We'll have to move quickly from this point. Israel learns to trust for today. In Exodus 16, 4, The Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. God says, go and gather. You cannot provide, but you need to enter in and to be part of this. It's a great time to ask ourselves, what does your job provide for you? Is your job where you serve faithfully to go and gather, to receive the provision God has for you? Or are you finding in your job the identity as provider for yourself? I want to tell you that little distinction is all the difference in the world. Are we to go and to work and be fruitful and faithful? Absolutely. Because that's where the Lord is sending us as his people to produce and to share. But do I find in my job my identity and provision for survival? Never. Not for God's people. We learn to trust within my limits. This is part of what Israel was doing. God said, you will get enough for that day. Talk about living paycheck to paycheck. That's a 24-hour pay cycle. How nervous is that? And to make sure, he enforces that the excess turns to stink and maggots. Now, friends, Proverbs is clear. Saving and preparing is wise. It's a good thing to do. But accumulating is not in and of itself the problem when we accumulate to care for others and to navigate the uncertainty of tomorrow. But when we work hard and accumulate today in hopes of identifying ourselves or providing for ourselves whatever God has for us, then we're into different territory. We'll need to examine our heart, prayer and self-reflection. Why would I accumulate? Is it because I'll pray, give us this day our daily bread? Do you see where that prayer comes from? 
all the time I'm thinking, and if that's a little too hard, God, Walmart had a great special on pork chops last week. I got a couple extra in the refrigerator. Don't put yourself out. That's a question of the heart you're going to have to struggle with. Are you working to accumulate so you don't have to trust in God? Or has God blessed your work to accumulate so you can be generous? The other very interesting thing that happens here is Israel learns to trust for tomorrow. On the sixth day, it says in Exodus 13, 5, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. For six days, they've had a 24-hour pay cycle. But for one day out of seven, they'll gather enough for two. They'll have to learn that night to trust God that the manna doesn't become stinky maggots and that he will provide for them tomorrow. Now, I don't know about you, but was the Sabbath for you all about learning to trust God for your future? Or was the Sabbath about not enjoying yourself because God's wanting to remind you that you're not God? You see, you can take Sunday away from your work not to develop a trusting heart, but to wait until you really can have the fun that you want. So what's your attitude to Sabbath? Sabbath for Israel was a time to learn how to rest in what God provided and to trust that he provides for the future. One day out of seven, they're taught that lesson so that one year out of seven, they can put their fields to rest so that once every 49 years, the 49 out of 49, they give everything back. See, that resting in God was to produce a trusting generosity. Well, this is what the tests of God are to do. They're to teach us to obey and to trust for tomorrow. Today, to trust within our limits and to trust as well all that God will provide for tomorrow. Now, I'm going to press through this part because I want to, just for the sake of time, give us time for communion. God provided this bread to teach them to rest in him, to help them identify where they weren't trusting so that they could have him alter that and grow their trust. But it's always pointing to something better. Listen to these words of Jesus. I am the bread of life. And the Greek there, this is, runs all through John. It's a very specific Greek construction, ego, me. In the Greek, it's like saying, I myself. He's not just saying I, he's saying, I myself am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. That's what we read about this morning. Yet they died. But here, I myself, is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. That bread of provision in a desert testing and teaching Israel that the Savior was trustworthy came to its fruition and its completion in Jesus Christ when he says, I myself am the bread. When we come to this table, we come to that great promise that God is worthy of our trust, that what we could never provide for ourselves, he has provided for us, that we can trust him for tomorrow. We can be generous today because he holds our future. It's met supremely 
finally, once and for all in him, in him because of what Jesus did at the cross for us. When we come to this table, come to receive. Let the Lord challenge you, where am I trusting, where am I not? But see the bread of Christ, his body and blood, as his gift to you to build that heart of trust and to live out of that. Let's pray and then we'll sing. Father, I thank you for your mighty word that you've loved us deeply. And I thank you that in the midst of our brokenness and fear and confusion, you still have called us as your people. Father, we thank you that we are yours and the testing you have for us is to begin to pull off that which is unworthy to replace it with, with that which is of you. Thank you that we face the test not with the fear of failure or rejection, but with the joy of knowing you are at work to lead us into the fullness of your spirit and life. Thank you for this day, Father. Thank you that in Christ alone, our hope is found. Let's stand and sing the first two verses. seated if you would please. I'm always aware that as we come close to Christ, we don't simply come alone. This is not about a singular relationship with God. It's about a personal relationship with God shared among people across cultures and across history. And so this morning, I want to take a reminder from the Heidelberg Catechism again of the meaning of the Lord's Supper. Uh, let's move to the next slide and we'll just confess this together. What does the Lord's Supper mean for us? The Lord's Supper declares to us that all our sins are completely forgiven through the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which he himself accomplished on the cross for all. It also declares to us that the Holy Spirit grafts us into Christ,
who with his true body is now in heaven at the right hand of the Father, where he wants us to worship him. We see that in what Paul spoke to the church in Corinth and what guides us in our understanding. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians, For I received from the Lord what I also have passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, you see, evil was at work, even as salvation was at work. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup. As best we're able to reconstruct, it would have been the third cup of the Passover meal, the cup of righteousness, when the head of household would have told the story of a lamb sacrificed and blood put on the doorpost that the angel of death might pass over. And then he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Paul then exhorts the church to examine yourselves, not on whether you are worthy to come, but do you recognize your need to come? Not so much a worthiness that you've accumulated, but a worthiness that you receive as God's grace. Remember, Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We don't come here to prove our performance. We come here to receive the grace he offers. And so I invite you, if you've surrendered your life to Christ, if he's your Lord, your sin doesn't build a wall, only your pride. Do you see the difference? We come here to find forgiveness and hope in the face of our brokenness. If you're weary and tired, if you need grace, this is your place. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have called us, and in the fullness of your grace, you remain with us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you dwell within our hearts and within the community that is your people. Thank you that you enliven your word to our hearts and minds to shape us, to hear the voice of the good shepherd. Thank you that in this moment, you take what is very simple, what the word sees as simple bread and simple cup, and by your grace and mercy, you meet us here. You are no less real here because that reality is spiritual than you are if it were physical. So we thank you that here in the reality of the Spirit, by the promise of your word, we meet you. I pray you'd minister kindness and grace, restoration to the, your people, that we might go forth later this day and live that out. I pray that you would test us to show us where we don't trust in you, but instead trust in the things of this world or in ourselves, and that in your mercy we might exchange the labor of trusting on ourselves for the security of trusting in you. Have that marvelous work, Father, we pray. We thank you for your kindness, and we pray these things in the marvelous and mighty name of Jesus all of God's people sit together. Amen. Amen. Ron, if you'd join me, and in a minute I'll ask everyone else to uh, come forward as well.
uh, come kind of row by row and leave time and space as you need. You'll have the option either to pick up a single sealed packet, come here, uh, participate, or to pick up the cup and the juice. That's if you want to come. Some of you may well have uh, set that for yourself at your pew. You know, in the end, it will be gathered around the table and dinner with the saving Christ. All you who labor, come, receive of Jesus this day. He invites you. Let's pray. Father, 
It's a mixed up, jumbled world. And yet, at your good purpose, God the Son entered into this broken world, took on human form, and at the cross offered his life for ours, took our death for his life. Thank you for the life you've offered us by your grace. Our faith reaches out to you to lay hold of it. Thank you that you will uh, test and develop and build our faith day by day, step by step. Thank you that we believe not simply in our faith, but we by faith reach out to your grace. This day we receive the fullness of all that Jesus has for us. Bear fruit in us, live it out in us. Give us a humility. Give us a heart of quick repentance and of kindness. Give us words that are your words of encouragement and calling to others. Thank you that you invite us to come, not because we've earned it, but because you are good. And that when we are weary and heavy laden, you give us your grace and not the yoke of our own effort. Be with us this day. Send us forth with a new joy and a new hope. Thank you for the death and resurrection of Jesus, the fulcrum point of human history. For the gateway has been opened, the door has been present, and there we have a hope that your word is the final word for our life, not the brokenness of this world, not the evil in this world. Nothing can separate us from you. For we pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus, our risen Savior, and all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's stand and close as we sing together.
receive the blessing and the benediction of our God, this benediction would have been spoken over Israel even in this season. It's from the book of Numbers. So the people who were learning to trust in God would have heard this blessing of encouragement. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. That's shalom. Thank you.